You ever get nervous about things that are outside of your control? Sure you do, we all do. But sometimes as a leader, we have to recognize what's happening around us and adapt to get through those challenges. Today, we're joined by Tim Shum, CEO of Lucas James Talent Partners. In 2019, they had a handful of people. Despite challenges over the last couple years, they now have over 115 different states. Tim understands talent, he understands the labor market, he understands how to lead a team, and I'm so excited for him to share with us what 2023 may hold and what we can expect in the future. Ready? Let's do it. Well, Tim, I appreciate you hopping on. Absolutely. Nice seeing you guys. Happy to be here. Good to see you, Tim. Thanks for joining. Of course. Of course. So Jason and I were talking about this. We're excited um, because we know that you have a lot of experience in regards to obviously, you know, with what you do at Lucas James, but you've got the knowledge of what's going on in the market and and labor trends and and how inflation impacts and how these all these business things impact what we do uh, in recruiting talents. I'd love you to just kick it off for us with kind of how we got to this point. You know, the last the last several years have kind of led us to where we are, and we'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, that sounds good. And th- thanks again for having me. Much appreciated. I love jamming on this stuff. I love researching it, talking about it. You know, as a as a business leader in the recruiting industry, I kind of I kind of have to, and I see certain things kind of upfront day to day that you know mm-hmm. I'm happy to articulate to your listeners. And uh, yeah, uh, but my name is Tim Shum. I'm the founder and president of Lucas James. We're an on-demand RPO. I'm sure your HR listeners know what RPO is, but if, if they don't, or you have other listeners, that stands for Recruiting Process Outsourcing. Uh, 150 people based out of Chicago, four and a half years in. So we we work with a lot of different companies, a lot of different sizes, a lot of different industries. So we, we do have kind of an insight into what's what's going on at the ground level from a candidate standpoint, uh, employer standpoint. Uh, the past four and a half years has been nuts. I haven't seen anything like this. I feel like we've gone through almost two full cycles in four and a half years of me running a, running a business. But th- that said, I've been in the recruiting industry for uh, 16 years. So I've, I've kind of, if you take a step out, kind of seen a, a bunch of different cycles and a bunch of different uh, scenarios. Um, mm-hmm. I spent 10 years at Aerotech, which is the largest privately held staffing company um, for, uh, t- what was that, 2006 to 2016. And we, we had a bunch of stuff going on there with 2008 and 2009 and a hot market. And then a really, really, really down market in 2008, 2009. And then just a basically a 10-year bull run kind of happened. You know, when you really look back, 2010, 11, 12, all the way to mm-hmm. Q1, 2020, things have been pretty good, man. Things have been pretty good, you know? Like yeah. a lot of us kind of like got into our roles, got into management, got into leadership during this cycle. And I think a lot of companies and a lot of business leaders just got used to the way things were. Low unemployment. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of um, excitement. There's a lot of growth. There's a lot of um, confidence in growth. So I think a lot of businesses and most industries were running their businesses like that, right? Private equity and interest rates were low and a lot of markets were really, 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 really hot. And then 2020 hit. And, you know, that was about 18 months into me starting my business. Uh, that was terrible. Uh, if you have HR listeners, I mean, shout out to the HR people. Like, Unfortunately, you know, we all kind of get pushed to the side when things are a little bit uh, quiet, you know, and maybe underappreciated. 
when things are hot, but, you know, mm-hmm. I think HR folks kind of took the brunt of that and recruiters took the brunt of that, you know, so you went from a period of the lowest unemployment since the great depression. So we were at about, you know, three, 4% or so to the highest unemployment uh, since the great depression. So like 20% upwards of like 40% in some industries. Right. And then as everybody knows, V-shaped recovery, you know, we started tossing money at the problem. There was pent up demand, that was kind of going on, like inflation happened, and we can kind of get into that and some of those factors. So I'm sure we'll get into like some subsets of this topic, but high level, uh, crazy market for the economy, up, down, up, down, what's going to happen next is 2023. And the labor market where we spent a lot of time and I spent a lot of mental energy, it's, it's just been nuts. You have these macro trends that keep the labor market very, very, very tight. I think a part of the reason we've had low employment mm-hmm. is because the labor market's tight, kind of regardless of what's happening. Um, and then you have the period of 2021 into 2022. Of, hey, the market's really hot and we have a tight labor market, which caused a bunch of gyrations and things like salaries and great resignation and an employee candidate driven market. Right. So heading into 2023, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, there's it, it could go a lot of different ways from, hey, this is a nothing burger. And the psychology of, hey, there might be a recession in 2023 is going to go to the wayside. And we'll kind of get back to some like medium version of our next kind of growth cycle. Or this could be really, really bad. And no one knows. And it's just really hard to be operating as a business leader, CFO, CEO, really manager in this environment. I was just thinking that, that unknown has to be scary for the market. Um, like, I guess, what would probably be the best way to prepare for that unknown, Tim? Like, what would you say the, I guess, what, what should companies, leaders start doing to prepare for that unknown that could happen in 2023, that it could be, you know, this or that? So what do you do? You just wait and say, here it comes, let's just break well, and hang on tighter. It, it's tough. It's tough. Like, to, just to answer your question, I'll hit that real quick. You, you don't, and every industry is different and every company is different. It, it depends on a lot of factors, your balance sheets, like, yeah, your capital stack, like, can you maintain, are you a private venture capital backed tech company that's not profitable right now? There's a big difference between stable industries, stable companies, size, um, and you know, how much, how much capital do you have access to and how much cash do you have in the bank to kind of get through this thing? And, you know, I would, I would handle it a bunch of different ways, kind of depending on um, what that is. What I, what I will say, regardless of if you're in fear mode and scarcity mode and you're worried about kind of getting through the next stretch or uh, you're in a good position, but the psychology of everybody else out there is we've been talking about a recession since March of last year. Hasn't hit yet. It, it may. It may. We don't know yet, but the the psychology, I guess, to my point, if you watch CNBC, if you watch the news, if you're on LinkedIn and you see some of the layoffs, that's really just in the technology sector right now. It's really not anywhere else. But if you see all this negativity kind of stuff, it's going to change your psychology. Uh, If you're a CFO, you should be watching economic data. You should be watching CNBC. And these are the people that are putting in budgets and influencing CEOs and what to do next. And I I would say a lot of corporate leaders are being very, very, very cautious right now. And I I just, I don't blame them. But regardless of if you're in a tough position or in a healthy position, all I will say is that this will pass at some point. If you're in the technology sector, this, this capital recession that's killing the NASDAQ, that's making early stage tech companies, Series A, B, C, D companies, publicly traded tech companies lay off right now. 
it's already been going on for nine months. It could happen for another three months, six months, nine months, doesn't like whatever. Three months to me goes by pretty quick. Six months to me goes by pretty quick. Like don't get too caught up in the negative psychology of the now because we know that it's going to come back. It'll come back. You know, this is figured out. The market, the market always stabilizes. We got too hot there for a little bit. It needs to stabilize. So if you're a candidate out there um, and you got laid off, <clears throat> the good thing is it's still a really hot job market right now. We had 12 million job openings in Q3. We still got 10. And there's a 3.5% unemployment. There's only like 4 million people unemployed right now. Like, go find a job. It's still good. You might have to change industries from tech to something else, but that's what markets do kind of over time. And if you're a, a business leader that's in scarcity mode, manage the next three to six to nine months. Like, put the budget together, figure it out, make sure you have access to cash. Bet on yourself, though. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go back to some version of a good growth cycle in the future. So I, I guess in, in a nutshell, don't don't freak out. You know, don't make short-term decisions. Take Try to take yourself out of it, even though it might be a little bit negative for a while, or there's just a little bit of uncertainty. Because, um, I don't know, I haven't been around a long time, but 16 years, like you see the cycles, like it, it, it'll be okay. I appreciate you saying that. And that was a good question from, from Jason, because it's like a, what's going to happen? Tim doesn't have a crystal ball on his desk. I'm sure I wish he did, but we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and Tim, what would you say? I mean, I know here's, what, here's what I think. Here's, here's what I think is going to happen. I think, listen, like fun, fundamentals of the economy are still pretty good. Like earnings are still there. Companies, again, outside of technology are still pretty profitable. Right now, we have a tight labor market. And when you have low unemployment, that means people have jobs and their spending habits don't change that much when they have a job, right? Like you're still going to buy the same stuff that you did three months ago today. If you get laid off, though, you're probably going to change your personal budget. That's going to change what people spend money on in the economy. That's going to trickle down into earnings. And, you know, then we have kind of other problems from there. Um, inflation was the big uh, talking point and topic of most of 2022, really 2021 as well, but most of 2022. And the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates right now to battle inflation, right? And everything, I watch this stuff like a hawk. Everything that I'm seeing is inflation's coming down, like almost in the rearview mirror, like housing prices, rental prices are coming down, oil prices have come down, food prices have stabilized. Uh, the big one is like freight rates, you know, like we, we need trucks and trains and like oils and input into that. If you look at a chart of freight rates, it's basically like up really sharp in 2021 and down really sharp. So our freight rates are basically pre-pandemic level. So you, you have inflation that's basically subsidized and everyone's looking at what the Federal Reserve is going to do. So um, if they if they watch the inflation number like I am, I would hope that they kind of chill out on raising rates uh, to like slow the economy. And I, I think this will be a either a nothing burger or a mild recession uh, or a short, short and to the point kind of recession. And we're, we're back in the growth track. <clears throat> if they continue to raise interest rates, though, that's going to affect consumers. So when they raise interest rates, your mortgage rates go up. When they raise interest rates, like the borrowing costs to like buy a used car, go up, buy a new car, go up, your credit card goes up. Businesses can't Borrow, like businesses like Lucas James can't borrow money 
or I'd be deterred to because of the interest rates associated with that. Like that's the reason that they're slowing the economy down. So that that's what everyone's looking at is like, what is what is the Fed going to do? I, I just I don't see a scenario where it's like a deep, deep recession because all they got to do is lower the interest rates again. And that's going to instill the confidence back that I've been talking about that hasn't been there over the last nine months back into the mindsets of the CFOs and the CEOs, and that'll trickle down into the consumers eventually. Um, and I can't wait for it. <laughs> I can't. I'm going to wait, man. I can't, I can't wait for it. But that, that, that's my take. And I don't have a crystal ball to your point, but that's that's what I'm thinking. Hey, we'll, we'll do a part two to follow up on that to kind of see where everything settles and how the dust settles afterwards. And Happy back. That sounds good. <laughs> and I was just getting ready to ask you about inflation because like the last, definitely the last year, there's been a, well, there's been a lot of hot topics, right? But We've been talking about burnout, quiet quitting, inflation, matching inflation with increased wages. Like, to where are we as we go into 2023, I guess? Obviously, mental health is never going to be a one we can throw to the side. We have to keep that top of mind. But like, where are we in regards to the great resignation, quiet quitting? Are we moving yeah. on from that? Totally. I think I, a lot of people don't realize that the labor market is just that. It's a market. Right. Like we look at every other market uh, in terms of supply and demand and what affects supply and demand. It's a price point. So the price point goes up and down. And I think like business leaders, HR, you just kind of get in a, the habit of, hey, I have a job opening. I'm going to put up a posting. I'm going to ask around for referrals. I'm going to interview five to 10 candidates, make a couple offers, pick the best one, lather and repeat that. And the, the reality is like you need to change your playbook based on what's going on with the labor market. You have to. Right. So during the boom cycle of 2010 to 2020, uh, folks were still entering the U.S. labor market. Immigration, uh, baby boomers weren't retiring as fast as they are now. You didn't have things like gig economy. Let's get into some of these things. But um, the, the playbook back then, it was like you didn't have to change the playbook. You could just kind of keep doing what you were doing. And uh, inflation was really low. So salaries were increased at whatever, uh, cost of inflation adjustments, two to three to 4% per year, right? And that was just standard that employers and candidates and employees expected. Now, when you got into 2020, it became an employer's market pretty damn quick, right? So you had a lot of folks uh, that got laid off, like they had to take something, a lot of fear on their side. So probably took the first job that they were offered, maybe a decreased salary and things like that, right? Like, so the, the price point's lower. Right. You could probably pick up really good talent in Q3 of 2020 uh, than you ever could before. And then we saw the V-shaped recovery. What happened to the supply and demand of talent? Demand went through the roof. We had pent up demand. Uh, companies need to go back to where they uh, where they came from. We're talking about interest rates. Interest rates were at zero. So companies were able to borrow a ton of money. Uh, the government was just giving money through stimulus checks to people to go spend wherever. So like demand was through the roof. Supply is still constrained, to my point, and that's where you saw the great resignation. You saw salary increases going freaking bonkers, right? And business leaders had to adapt, right? You had to make a decision of, hey, are we going to stick with the 2010 to 2020 playbook? Or are we going to adapt to this because we want to grow now because demand's really high? And some companies chose to stick with what their guns were. Some companies chose to adapt. Maybe it's remote working policies or... Um, increased perks and benefits or just signing bonuses or just higher salaries for everybody in general so they didn't lose talent or they could go pick up the talent that they needed. And now it's like swinging back again, 
right? Like there's there's fear on the candidate side, the supply side of the labor market equation of I don't want to leave my job right now because people are laying off or people could lay off. I don't want to be the first one in, last one out at a new company because I left in Q1 of 2022 when everyone's freaking out, right? So I think like the answer, it's stabilized quite a bit. Some of that stuff that we were talking about, even like quiet quitting, maybe you could get away with quiet quitting in a remote environment where your company's like adding 50 people a month to it and you can kind of get lost in the shuffle and they, they can't lose you. But now, like, I wouldn't quite quit if I were you, right? It's, it's swinging back to an employer-driven market. And there's going to be more candidates out there. It's just going to be easier to hire because you don't have some of the gyrations in the labor market that we were talking about before. Now, switching gears here a little bit, Tim, as far as on the on the employer side, like, what do you see them like having to adjust to or changes they have to make as far as um, retaining and recruiting top talent as far as job descriptions and just being more creative in that aspect of it? Like what, what do you see different from the past three to four years to now and moving forward? What's going to change for them? I think some things are going to stay the same. Like you, I think what companies realize is like, you have to stand out. You have to differentiate yourself. You have to treat people with respect when they're working for you. Cause they're going to bounce, man. They're going to bounce on you real, real quick. Like they're not taking BS anymore from their employer and they're not living with it. So I think um, that that's, that's going to stick around, right? It might not be that like employee driven market before where like you could go back to like the 1800s where employers just treated everybody like terribly, you know, the reason for unions and the reason for a lot of the policies that we have now. But um, in, in terms of like what, what you should, what, what's going to stick also is, uh, everybody in the, in the in the white collar, you know, knowledge worker kind of industry got a taste from working from home. Everybody got a taste from working from home. And Lucas James has been a hundred percent remote company ever since I started it in 2018. We were ahead of, ahead of the curve there. We could very easily differentiate ourselves back in 2018 and 2019 when we were recruiting, because um, 95% of employers were in the office. You had a commute every day. And now as we go back and the employers think that this is going to swing back to an employer-driven market, and I could just get everyone back to the office and they're going to be okay with that. And where else are they going to go? Because there's a fear of a recession out there. You're still you're still going to struggle. And you're going to struggle for two reasons. One, they got a taste of it. Uh, Two, they just went through a period of two years where they didn't have to put up with BS, as I mentioned before. The third biggest reason that I think a lot of employers that that are going back to the office don't realize, when you think of pre-pandemic and you're an employer, you're in HR, uh, and you have a job opening at your company, what do you go do? You post the job. Let's say you're in Indianapolis, like you guys are, you're posting a job and your Canada pool is basically a 20 to 30 mile radius from your worksite location. Like you're only fishing in that pond, right? You fast forward into kind of post during the pandemic scenario, um, people were open and willing to hire people remotely from anywhere in the country, right? Like everybody kind of adopted this, right? And what that did was, now, now the companies are going back to the office. If you're an employer that's opening up your Canada pool to the entire country, you're just going to have more access to talent. You're going to be picking up better talent. You're going to be potentially picking up people in lower cost of living areas. Maybe you're not paying more 
uh, gives you more flexibility there. Um, whereas if you're back in the office, you're that employer in Indy and you're sticking to your guns and saying like, you got to be back in the office, your Canada pool. Yes. It's still finite. It's the same actual people, but those same people have a hundred X opportunities across the country. So good luck going head to head with even another employer in Indy that just says, Hey, you only have to be in the office one or two days a week. So things that need to change, I think you got to take a little bit of the past. You got to take a little bit over the last two years and you got to create a strategy on how you're going to compete in this market. Cause the, the labor market's still really, really tight. And we can talk about why it's going to be really, really tight for the foreseeable future. And you need to kind of change up your strategies. The 2010 to 2020 playbook isn't going to work anymore. And while we're still on that topic on job scripts, things like that, I just saw an article recently that I wanted to bring up to you to where I forget the actual percent, but it had an employers who put the salaries or pay on the job description or getting an increase in the recruiting talent. What is your what are your thoughts on that? I know that's not the norm. It's kind of been trying to like it caught on here the past couple of years, I think. But I just saw that and it stood out. I want to get your thoughts on that. There's, there's some states, Colorado being one of them, and this is kind of popping up across the country where uh, they're requiring employers that are based in the state to post the salary requirements on the job board, right? And, you know, being in the recruiting industry a long time, like the the employer wanted flexibility on that. They didn't want to, they didn't want to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to pay $75,000 when maybe I could get a candidate for $70,000 and they're good with it because they were making $65,000 before, right? It takes, it takes that flexibility away. But what I've read, what I see anecdotally at my company is the, the generations, the, the, the Gen Z, uh, millennial generation, they tend to appreciate transparency a lot more. They're also very internet savvy and their entire lives are on the internet. Right. So when they're, when they're buying something, they go to Amazon, they know what the price is, they know what the review is, they know exactly what they're getting before they even make the decision to purchase. Right. And when you're dealing with something as important as your job, where you spend a good chunk of your time, 40 hours plus a week, um, and you have a plethora of job opportunities in front of you, you're probably naturally going to just mindset wise, go to the ones that have the salary first. And then based on that salary that you want, apply to those jobs before taking a look at anything else. So I think, again, companies are going to have to adapt to this because it's like, hey, if there's 10 job openings in Indianapolis uh, in the same industry with 10 different competitors, you have to compete against that. And who's applying to what? And who's not even going to look? You yeah. got to think about these things, you know, as the labor market generations are happening. The way I think about it is if, if I'm an A employee, A candidate, A level candidate, and I see a posting posting A and posting B and posting A has the salary that I'm looking for. Everything is right. And posting B doesn't have a salary, but everything else is right. Like you said, they're going to win that talent first. The one who knows what they're going to pay and, you know, all the details and everything. So I just thought that was interesting as far as why more companies, I get the flexibility that you mentioned, of course, but why more companies wouldn't do that to get that A level talent in the door faster. Uh, that's just kind of what my thoughts were. And that's, that's the thing too, like job posting is our marketing strategy. You're marketing your organization, not necessarily the, the buyers and consumers of your services or your product, but you're, you're marketing to the Canada pool. And look, like you, you still can have flexibility with that, but put the range on there at least, you know, put, put something on there. You don't, you don't have to hire these people at X, right? 
but at least put yourself in a position where you're attracting the candidate pool that you need in a tight labor market. Otherwise, you're just going to get smoked. Yeah, it's interesting to see these these different states kind of add those laws, those transparency laws into their into their rules and regulations. And we actually did an episode with Cassandra Farot, who's here in Indy. Shout out to Cassandra on compensation. And it was really interesting because she was talking about you had mentioned being able to broadcast your jobs across the entire country. Well, what she was saying is if I'm here in Indy and I post a job for an applicant in New York, I still have to abide by those New York laws. So it's going to be really interesting for for leaders across the country to we all have to adapt. That's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be crazy for sure. Yeah, so Tim, I also I saw a uh article the other day. It was also on the news and it was about skilled labor. Right? There's a shortage of skilled labor and I would agree with that. But another episode with a shout out to Alyssa Peterman who's also here local. They've adopted the mindset that there's not a shortage of talent there's a shortage of skill right so they have a program where they you want to work for us we'll teach you and that's how they that's how they get their talent and they get like 3000 applicants every year and it's amazing and so i think other industries could adopt that as well yeah uh i think you're i'm, I'm reading and watching the same stuff and there's there's a lot of variables that are happening right now in the labor market so the, the first being immigration is is going down due to policies. Um, Mm -hmm. Baby boomers are exiting the workforce. Uh, Baby boomers are passing on 70 to $100 trillion of wealth over the next six to 10 years to their kin, next of kin, folks in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? So those those folks are going to leave the labor force, right? So back to the, the skilled labor, you know, when I hear that, I hear more mechanic, maintenance technician, mm-hmm. um, plumber, right? Like like the skilled trades kind of industry, electrician. And, you know, generationally, you saw a lot of, you know, my parents are baby boomers, right? You, you saw folks in that generation get into the trades because their parents were in the trades, right? And the baby boomer generation is kind of like the last generation to – like not grow up with like some version of technology where even like generation X and for sure millennials got into some of these other industries because when they looked at, all right, Hey, am I going to go do this or, or can I go do this? And I have the opportunity to do this. They weren't entering the trades. So you have all of these baby boomers that are a huge percentage of the trades exiting the workforce in droves and going to continue to exit the workforce in droves. And this is a really good example. And you could, make the same argument for software engineers or the labor markets tight in Indianapolis for, I don't know, medical device salespeople, whatever, right? The concept of, hey, instead of uh, just throwing up a job posting and trying to steal someone else's talent, you could either A, uh, upskill your talent, provide training opportunities and training programs, or B, you could hire entry-level talent or mid-level talent and then train them up to the way that you need to do things, right? So we saw this in 2021, 2022, and a lot of our clients are technology companies. Uh, It was really hard to find a senior software engineer. Why do companies like senior software engineers? Because they can come in, they can do software engineering stuff right away. They don't need a lot of hand-holding. They come with great ideas. They can maybe mentor the junior person. Why not pay X amount more, right? The problem is really hard to find, really hard to find. Like their current company is like trying to hang on to them, right? So you got to come up with different strategies. And one of those is 
software engineering boot camps was like the, the big thing. I saw them popping up all over the place. Genius, right? Take folks that have some sort of background in technology, but teach them how to code, right? And then as an employer, like get people in hiring classes and stuff like that and train and train and train and train and train. It might take a little bit more time, but what else are you going to do, right? I think, I think you could kind of cascade that over a lot of different industries and a lot of different occupations and skill set um, across these industries. And to my point, labor market is going to stay tighter and tighter. The minute that this psychology of negativity goes away, the market's going to pop again. It's going to start with the stock market and it's going to go back to a candidate-driven market again. And you got, you got to be pulling rabbits out of your hat. You got to be coming up with new strategies and new playbooks, including upscaling, uh, to find, attract, and retain the talent that you need in the marketplace. Otherwise, you're doesn't matter what kind of business plan or budget or forecast you're going to put together. You're just not going to hit it if you don't have the people. And so, Tim, where would you say a, a company should start? Like, what would you say a starting point should be to make sure that they have got their T's crossed and I's dotted when it comes to that? Make sure they got their ducks in a row. Like a company who's just kind of lost right now and don't know where to go to try to recruit and retain that those top talent people. And they're trying to get there. They're in growth mode. They've got the funds. But, you know, what would you say should start to kind of start building that looking toward that? If you're referring to upscaling, I'll just hit that real quick. I can go into other areas. But um, listen, if you're a small company, if you're a, a mid-market company even, like if you're under 50 employees for sure, but even if you're like a 500-person company, it's just going to be easier for you to, to invest more in talent acquisition and recruitment and differentiate yourself that way. Just put more men and women hours on it. Just put more advertising budget towards talent acquisition because you're only going to need 5, 10, 15, 20 people in any department, right? Just just go, just put more effort into finding the talent. Now, these bigger companies, these Fortune 1000s, these multinational companies, these, you know, big corporate skyscraper, they got, you know, 10,000 employees in their kind of companies, they have bigger challenges, right? Because they got to hire people in droves, right? And they're probably going to lose people at a big percentage too, right? So what, what's your strategy going to be? And I think I think adopting that upskilling kind of strategy and making sure you're having a farm system to kind of use like a minor major league baseball kind of analogy, like get them up through the system and have a long-term kind of plan for that. The problem is that's tough. Problem is that takes one, two, three years to like really see the ROI from it. And I'm sure your HR listeners will appreciate this. Hey, it's a, it's a really good idea in 2021 and things are hot. It's a really good idea in 2016 when things are hot, but like the minute that we got to change, make changes to the budget, what's the first thing that goes training and development, let go of that, let go of that trainer, let go of that HR person that put the project together. Like it's like, it's out the door. Right. So um, and so back to your general question, like, what, what do you do? The labor market is going to be tight. Um, demand is going to come back. You have to compete. I, th I think you need to invest more in talent acquisition. I think, um, you know, talent branding was kind of a buzzword there for a little bit. I don't think companies do that quite enough, right? Take, take the marketing dollars that you market to your customers to try to grow your revenue and allocate a portion of that to try to attract the candidates out in the marketplace and a positive brand, whatever it is, you know, videos or do more philanthropy stuff and put more content out in the marketplace or like have an internal podcast or have it like do, do some of these things to differentiate yourself. Because what I said before was a lot of these up and coming generations, what do they do before they even take a call with you? 
They're on the internet, man. They're on the internet. Like they Google stuff, right? Like they, I don't know. I got a cousin that doesn't, doesn't even like pick up the phone. He'll take the number, type it into Google to see who it is first before calling back, right? I just picked up the phone when I was his age, right? So think about that. Like when they Google your company, what's going to come up? And if it's just like a crappy website with a bunch of negative Google reviews and like a couple of like garbage, like negative glass door reviews, like that that's not good. I would invest a lot more into talent acquisition. Um, and then the, the last piece I'll mention if we can move on is the retention aspect. When you're going from 150 to 200 employees, that's net 50. So yeah, you have to find at least 50 people. The reality is everybody has attrition, right? You have attrition where you got to let go. Some of you are underperformers. You have people going and finding other jobs and leaving your organization. It's really like a hundred person problem that you have a hundred person. And then you probably have to talk to like a few thousand candidates in order to do that. It's a, it's a very, very tall order, but that, that equation gets much easier when you focus on the retention of your current team. So yes, uh, it's a tight labor market. Like you have to differentiate yourself in the marketplace, but focus, like start with your current people. Like if you're treating them disrespectfully, stop doing that. Invest in them, invest in their careers, hear them out. Do a survey, take their feedback, show them that you're making changes, right? If you don't do that kind of stuff, they're going to leave and go to someone that does that stuff, right? And I think that's a huge, huge miss. Um, and we've been talking about it for years in the HR human capital community, like focus on culture and make, you have, make sure you have a diverse workforce. Make sure you do this. And it's like, that sounds good on a podcast, but then they just don't freaking do it, dude. I see it all the time. They just don't do it, right? So uh, again, like, those companies are going to get smoked because it's just going to get tighter and tighter. And the problem is going to exacerbate itself. And on the, also to add to that, if you're treating your current employees right and keeping them happy, doing the things that they like and, and want to do, then they're going to spread the word and tell other people that they're being treated well. So it just trickles down to word of mouth and bring in friends and buddies and other top talent that you know. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. That's right. That's right. For some reason, people assume that other people are going to be lazy. That's what I've learned. 16 years recruiting for companies. I probably saw, worked with a thousand companies of hundreds of glass door reviews. I kind of see what's going on at these organizations. Top-down leadership, they just put policies and procedures in place and they just assume people are going to be lazy. And sometimes people are lazy and you got to get let them go. But sometimes people are lazy because you're not making them pumped up about what they're doing, right? So maybe you got to look at that. And I, it, I just take the philosophy that, um, you know, we're 150 people. Maybe one day we'll get to a thousand. I don't know. Hopefully more, let's say. And there's 170 million people in the workforce. I don't need a large percentage of people, right? I don't need a large percentage of people, but I just need a thousand that are going to not be lazy. And how, and you know, what do they want to do? They want to be treated with respect. They want to be treated with owed respect when they come in and earn respect over time. Uh, they want to be compensated well. They want to have future opportunities. They want to pat on the back every once in a while. Um, the good ones want to be challenged at times, you know, and they're okay being called out when they're bought into like the greater good cause. And I think like if, if you're going about it that way, the growth is going to come. Like the profits are going to come. They're, like the revenue is going to come from that. I think it's people have it kind of flipped. Right. It's like, all right, I have a strategy. I'm smart. I'm going to put a plan together. And oh, yeah, by the way, we just need like a thousand people to do this. And I, I just think it's the wrong way to go about it. 100 percent. 
And while we have you, Tim, as I was listening to you, I got to ask, because you're, you're from the recruiting side and talent side. You have a lot of insights. You've given us some awesome things to think about. But you're also a CEO of your own company. And you kind of talked about your philosophy a little bit. But I'm curious, like what things you're doing, you've grown quickly. And I know you've got plans for more growth. Like what things are you doing for your people um, that you could kind of share with sure. us? Listen, appreciate you saying that. I, I'm, I'm learning as I go. I'm trying to figure it out. But what I will say, you know, I came from a large organization, loved working there for a lot of different reasons. Um, but there was some stuff that I didn't like, especially as like I aged and I, I, I came into like a different phase of life. When I was in my 20s and single or recently married, like work was my life. So I, I kind of bought into like a lot of the conventional um, policies that you see at bigger companies and the expectations of bigger companies. Like I just let it kind of roll off my shoulder. And, you know, I, I just decided that I want to take uh, the good stuff from that organization, my experiences, maybe some of the clients that I had worked with or recruited for in the past, and kind of leave out some of the other stuff that just didn't um, jive with me as much. And, you know, you, you put a stake in the ground and you say, all right, so what's important to Tim? I'm a, I'm a dad now. I got two young kids. That's important to me. Um, health is important to me. I'd like to work out in the morning if I have the time to do so. So I don't have to have a commute. All right, so we're going to work from home, right? Uh, I didn't appreciate people um, spitting out orders at me with a lack of direction or a lack of buy-in or like not starting with the relationship first. So we're not going to do that. We're going to start relationship first. Um, I didn't feel like I was treated with respect all the time at times. So I'm going to start off treating everybody with respect and then they can earn more over time or it's theirs to lose. Right. So like that's kind of a core tenant. And I think, uh, again, if you're if you're bringing in attracting the right people on the bus and hey, listen, like we're a business, like we need some policies and procedures, but we call it a framework. Right. We, you have a framework that we need to kind of stay in. It's a business. This is a society like we have to do certain things. But you have complete freedom within that framework to do the job how you see fit. We're going to be here for support. We're going to be here for direction. We're going to be here for one-on-ones to kind of coach you through the X's and O's of your day-to-day and also your career mapping for the bigger picture. And what, mm-hmm. I've, what I've learned just in four and a half years of doing this, and I haven't figured it out to a T yet, but what I've noticed is um, if you're hiring people that like fit that and that kind of stuff's important to them, it's not important to everyone. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have want to work at Lucas James when I was 22 years old. But – if this is your jam and then we treat people with respect that this is their jam, you tend to get more out of it, right? People like being on teams, competitive people like being on teams, right? And if like they feel like they're part of the team and they're making a contribution and their, their voice is heard, like the sky's the limit, not only for that individual, but for the company and the enterprise in general. So I think like it might be hard to do as we grow and I, I might I might appreciate some of the policies that were in place at my previous organization, larger organization, and go like, oh, okay, like, yeah, we have to do that now. Yep. <laughs> I'm going try to try to stay true uh, to what we've done up until this point, and, you know, hopefully we're doing something right. Love that. Well, Tim, I appreciate it. We're going to have to do, yeah, we'll have to have you back on. We'd be honored to chat with you again at some point. This has been fun. Anytime. Anytime. Happy to do it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for what you're doing. Love what you guys are doing. And, um, you know, for all the listeners out there, um, it, it's going to pass whatever we're going through right now. It's it's going to pass. It'll be OK. Yeah. And uh, I love networking and meeting strangers. So 
you know, if you want to jam on economy stuff, labor market stuff, or, or just to kind of network and chat, um, you know, feel free to reach out. Well, how good was that? We can't thank Tim enough for his time and giving us the opportunity to chat with him for a few minutes. And I know there were multiple topics that we discussed there in different areas and things, but I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was everything he talked about, it was about adapting and evolving and changing and recognizing what's happening around us and improve going forward. So I hope that stuck out to you as well. We'll see you next time.